For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. What was life like in ancient Israel as the seasons turned and the calendar unfolded each year? Welcome to the Shalom Y'all Ministries Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adam Keim, along with my good friend, Dr. Daniel McCabe. Daniel, what advice do you have for people as they start a brand new year? Well, I think this year for me has been uh, a challenge in many respects, a lot of new things that I have faced. And I think that's pretty common for most people. A lot of things come, whether it's school or work. And and it's so easy, I think, to just let those things take center stage in our lives. And we can easily forget our family and our friends through it all. And I think that's one thing I've been reminded of as the, the calendar year has turned to not let those things distract me from the thing that's unchanging in my life. And that's my family and my close friends. So I just encourage people to make sure that, that they, and I'm as well investing in my family and uh, in our friends this year, whether it's at church or um, whether it's at friendships we've made at school, wherever, just make sure that we're investing in the people around us. I think that's probably the best advice I could give. Very good advice. Now we here at Shalom, y'all, we're convinced that, and we've experienced this, a walk through the land can definitely deepen your walk with the Lord. The mission of our ministry is to teach and encourage those who love the Bible, the land of the Bible, and the people of the land. We also lead educational tours to the country of Israel that can forever change the way you read your Bible and even worship the Lord. Go ahead and reach out to us for more information on how your group can experience the land of Israel firsthand. Well, Adam, by now I think uh, our listeners probably know that the focus of our ministry is centered around the acronym SHALOM. That's the word for peace or hello in Hebrew. Now the O in SHALOM stands for on-the-ground tours. And one of the greatest joys for me in this ministry is to travel with groups to Israel, to show them the places mentioned in the Bible, to taste, see, touch, hear, and smell them. It's fantastic. And right now we're preparing to take a group in May. And this group is closed, but perhaps you'd like to go later this year or next year to Israel. It is never too late to schedule a group. And we take groups of any size. In fact, our group in May is only seven people, but small groups are actually our preference here. They're perhaps the best way to see the land. And I just don't know of any other ministries or groups that can travel to Israel for less than we do. So yes, contact us at shalomyallministries at gmail.com. That's shalomyallministries, no spaces, no apostrophe, shalomyallministries at gmail.com. And let's talk about creating your personalized trip to Israel. Every episode of the podcast, we cover all sorts of stuff, topics that jump out to us from the world of biblical archaeology, history, geography, something special from the scriptures that have kind of uh, opened our eyes any given time. Daniel, what do you have for us today? Well, I'm definitely in trip planning mode today, so I thought I'd share with you, um, our listeners, five places that I plan to revisit on our trip to Israel in May. These are places that I've been before, as I've said, places I hope all our listeners will be able to visit one day. And let me just give them to you in no particular order, but the first one that comes to mind that we'll be visiting again in May is Nazareth Village. 
I just love this place. Have That's you been a great there, spot. It, it's a great spot. It, yeah. You can just kind of look at all the, the agricultural implements and all the kind of little village they've recreated to just get a good sense of what kind of life was like way back in biblical times. Yeah, they've recreated the whole city of, of first century Nazareth and it includes you know, actors in costume and live animals, a carpenter shop, a synagogue. You can even get a first century meal and so much more there. It's run by Christians and they are gracious but unapologetic in their faith in Jesus Christ and they share that with all who visit there at Nazareth Village. Wonderful place to go. The second place that we'll be visiting again is Yad Vashem. This is the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. It's a very sobering place to visit, but the displays are spectacular. Yad Vashem literally means a place and name or memorial and name. It's taken from Isaiah 56, 5, which says, Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And that's exactly what they do at the memorial in Jerusalem. They give names to all those lives that were lost so mm. many years ago now. Thirdly, Jericho. I know that's a place that you've enjoyed so many times in the past, Adam. I love it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. And Jericho, you know, you can stand there on the ruins of Jericho and you can recreate in your mind all that took place around you. You can you can look to the east and envision the crossing of the Jordan by the Israelites. And you can imagine the Israelites marching around the city of Jericho or imagine the dramatic escape of the spies from Rahab's house. But you really need to be there to realize the unique strategic position of the city before the Israelites could possibly move up into the central mountains of Israel in order to conquer the promised land. Jericho must be taken. It's just a, a fabulous sight. And then fourth, one of my favorites, and I don't know if I've ever been on a trip to Israel without doing this, but that is going down Friday night to the Western Wall to see the start of Sabbath. Just people watching there at sunset. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite things to do. Everyone in their best clothes, the dancing, the singing, it's a must-see. And hopefully I can take you there and, and see those sights one day. And then uh, fifth is the Valley of Elah. Just went there last year, but we're going to be going again uh, in May. This is the valley where David squared off with Goliath. And this story of faith and courage is reason enough to make the drive to the Valley of Elah. But there are also some fascinating and archaeological finds that confirm this location as an early Israelite stronghold. You know, I think in our next podcast, I'm going to share some new places that I plan to visit in May. I always try to go to places I haven't been before, but how I look forward to visiting these five that I've just mentioned once again. You know, Daniel, I, I'm impressed by how God, and of course he obviously does, but, but how God knows how to deal with each individual person. Um, just when you think you have God figured out, you don't. And something that kind of jumps out to me in the scriptures often is, he seems to handle certain people based on what will work best with them. I like to compare two examples of this, Job and Habakkuk. Now with Job, we have the patient man, a man who in many ways is just one of the best examples of a godly person. You know, through all that he suffered and endured, he did not blame God for his terrible circumstances. 
Now, but even Job was not perfect. After listening patiently to his friends pontificate on what must be going on, and the moment Job even hints at anything resembling, yeah, why am I going through this anyway? God speaks out of a whirlwind in chapter 38, and he puts Job firmly in his place. You know, for several chapters, God challenges Job to answer him on many impossible matters. Stand up and answer me like a man. You know, we, we might even get the feeling sometimes that, that God is being very hard on Job. Now, meanwhile, you read Habakkuk, and the prophet there issues strong complaints against the Lord, even seeming to, to kind of challenge God and, and even accusing God of wrongdoing. Habakkuk actually says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself in the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. That's in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Now, with remembering how God handled Job, that patient man, we would expect Habakkuk to be fried on the spot with a lightning bolt. But God encouraged him. And he said, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that, that you would not even believe if told. He says that in Habakkuk 1.5. So what do I get out of this? You know, both Job and Habakkuk learned something in their days. They both ended up responding humbly and rejoicing in the Lord. And it took apparently different approaches from God with each one. You know, that comforts me. God knows who I am and what I need in any given situation, just like Job and Habakkuk and other you know, famous characters of the Bible. Daniel, what is this week's trivia question? Well, Adam, I know you're a fruit guy. We established that, I think, last podcast. <laughs> so uh, do you like apricots? I love them. You know, okay. I, it's one of my favorite dried fruits. So you like it dry? Do you eat it any other way? Uh, fresh, any which way. In desserts. Out of desserts, baked. How, uh, yeah, I like how about an apricot pie. You like apricot pie? Uh yes, I do. Okay, all right. Well, maybe you can make me one sometime, and we can share <laughs> it together. I love it's a, pie. It's a deal. Yeah. Well, my middle son, he he received a calendar for Christmas that lists today, January 9th, as National Apricot Day. Did you know it was National Apricot Day? Uh, I did not. That's a good <laughs> one to me. Okay. Well, today in Israel, they do grow apricots. By the way which they usually ripen around May or June, I understand. I, I don't know if they grew apricots in ancient Israel. But in any event, there were three main harvests in ancient Israel every year. There was the spring harvest in May or June that yielded grains like barley and wheat. The summer harvest that yielded fruits, predominantly grapes, and then the fall harvest in October and November that yield predominantly what? That's our trivia question. What was the harvest predominantly in October and November every year? What was the main harvest? Do you know? We'll have the answer for you later in the podcast. We might live our lives according to a school calendar or just one work week after another, but how did the times and seasons affect the daily life of someone in ancient Israel? 
you know, we read in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one, that for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, according to verse two, and a time to plant as well as a time to pluck up what is planted, you know, to harvest. There's even a time to love and a time to hate, according to verse eight, and a time for war and for peace. The Bible at several points indicates various times and seasons. In fact, that is one of the ways that the scripture is grounded in history and reality. The Bible speaks to our experience here on earth and in a fallen world. So let's look at a couple of examples of how seasons are indicated in God's word. In 2 Samuel 11, the narrative where we learn of David's great sin regarding Uriah and Bathsheba, Israel went off to war against the Ammonites. Verse 1 says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Did something jump out to you there? Why did kings go out to battle in the springtime? Well, the wintertime was was the primary growing season for several crops in the ancient Near East. It was the rainy, temperate season for many important things to grow. And you'd want to make sure that your people could dedicate their attention to planting and harvesting. You would not want all of your fighting men off to war while there was critical farming to be done. That, and you could feed your troops with what was harvested. You know, before refrigeration and so many modern conveniences that we have, so much more of your daily life was agrarian. You had to be more concerned about the farming calendar. Another example is is kind of tied in with this concept. In Deuteronomy 11.14, in the midst of God's instructions to Israel about living in the promised land, we read, He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. The early rains were a reference to the typical rainfall that occurs in the fall, October and November, and the latter rains are in the spring, usually in April and May. At the end of summer, farmers in Israel had to sow seeds, typically in dry ground, and simply trust that God would provide rain for them so they could eat and survive. In a very real way, People in biblical times lived a hand-to-mouth existence. Nothing was guaranteed, and they needed to rely constantly on the Lord to supply their basic needs. In the New Testament, James keys in on this, and he writes in James 5, 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. There's so many things in this world, they seek to distract us from a steady reliance upon God, thus turning our attention away from Him. You know, it's why I think that rural people, people that live in rural areas all over the world, they tend, not always, but they tend to be more spiritually focused. I think that's because they have to rely on the nature of the world that God created and holds in his hands. You know, Adam, you mentioned the Mm -hmm. latter rain, and 
our group in May. We're going to be getting there mid-May, and I'm going to have to tell them that they might need to bring a little light uh, water-resistant jacket in case we might get a louder rain even there in mid-May. But then probably from mid-May on, it just simply doesn't rain in the summertime in Israel at all, does it? Yeah, not really. And those latter rain, well, early rains and latter rains is, side note, part of the of what makes Hezekiah's tunnel more fun. <laughs> yeah. There's more water in there. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. According to Deuteronomy 16, 16, the Israelites were required to travel to Jerusalem every year for three religious celebrations, Passover in the early spring, Pentecost in late spring and tabernacles in early fall. So let's take a brief look at these three annual celebrations and see how they settled into the annual calendar of ancient Israel. First, there's Passover. It's called Passover because the Lord promised to pass over every home in Egypt that was marked by blood. You may remember that God sent 10 plagues upon the land of Egypt to demonstrate the power to Pharaoh, his power to Pharaoh. And to convince Pharaoh to release the Israelites from slavery. The 10th plague brought death to the firstborn son of every home whose doorframe was not covered by the blood of a lamb. You can read about it in Exodus 12. And to this day, the Jews celebrate the Passover with a meal called a Seder, which commemorates not just the Lord's passing over during the 10th plague, but also the entire story of how he delivered Israel's forefathers from Egypt to begin their journey to the promised land. So much of much of what you read in Exodus 12 and what you'll experience at a typical Jewish Seder meal, it actually points to Jesus. For as the Apostle Paul writes, quote, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, Christ centered Seder meal is a worshipful and memorable event. And it's why our ministry offers to lead such a meal for your church, school, or or organization, much as I've done with my home here, my family here, um, as we've gathered around the table for a personal family Seder. You know, even the practice of communion in our churches today is related to the Passover Seder, the cup that represents Jesus's blood and the bread that represents Jesus' broken body are symbols taken directly from the Passover meal. So the Jews celebrate the Passover every spring, usually very early in the spring. And then second is Pentecost. The word Pentecost comes from the Greek word for 50, and it's so named because Pentecost is celebrated exactly 50 days after Passover. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks, and that's because Seven weeks separate Passover and Pentecost. Um, Pentecost commemorates the giving of the Ten Commandments, which are, well, which were historically, if you go back and look at the story in Exodus, the Ten Commandments were given around late spring. And also because late spring also coincided with the wheat harvest, the people were expected to bring an offering from the harvest to express their joy and thankfulness for the Lord's blessings. Now, because the law is compared in Scripture to sweets, particularly honey, Psalm 19.10, modern Jewish families will celebrate Pentecost 
with cheesecake and cheese blences. You like any of those, Adam? Sounds good to me. I All love right. cheesecake. Okay. So does my wife. She loves cheesecake. Well, they also decorate their homes and synagogues with flowers and greenery, which represent the harvest. So Christians likewise can celebrate the giving of the law at Pentecost. For as the Apostle Paul said, the law is holy and just and good, Romans seven twelve. But we understand the greater purpose it served. The law was given to show us our sin, all have sinned as well as our utter inability to keep it, thus directing us to a new covenant with God, a salvation relationship made possible by His grace apart from the law. Fittingly inaugurated on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, this new covenant secures our deliverance from sin if we'll simply believe that Jesus alone satisfied the demands of the law. Any attempt of our own to attain salvation through Good works or the keeping of the law is always certain to fail. We need God's power to save us, not our own. And that power comes to us through God's Spirit, and the Spirit came to us on Pentecost. And then thirdly is the celebration of tabernacles. Who 40 years living in the Sinai wilderness in tents with daytime heat and cold nights. How do you think you'd have done, Adam? <laughs> I'd like to think that I could have toughed it out, but, you know, I'm <laughs> sure I would have been one of the many in the congregation of Israel that would probably be complaining often enough. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine how difficult it must have been for them. And without God's promise of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, I don't think they would have survived. Without God's miraculous provision of food and water, they'd have never arrived on the shores of the promised land. So the Feast of Tabernacles is a week-long celebration each fall that commemorates God's faithfulness and His protection. Mm. Timed also to coincide with the fall harvest, it further reminds God's people of how He provides for them, especially now that they're in their land. Well, each year during the celebration of Tabernacles, Jewish families will build temporary tabernacles, that is, tents or booths, shelters. And these tabernacles are made of wood and canvas, and they sleep in them, or at least they'll eat one or sometimes more of their daily meals in these tents and shelters. As instructed in Leviticus 23, they cover their shelters with citron, myrtle, palm, and willow branches, and they erect them on their lawns, or sometimes you can see them even on their apartment balconies. And they're often beautifully decorated with flowers and leaves and fruits and vegetables. Well, Christians too should be eager to celebrate God's faithfulness and protection, both in the way he provided for the Israelites so long ago, and also in the way he provides for us along our own unique journeys today. But the Feast of Tabernacles especially reminds me of that day 2,000 years ago when Jesus, quote, became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 14. Now, don't miss that little word, dwelt. From the original language of the Bible, it means to pitch a tent. In other words, Jesus tabernacled among us, or 
pitched his tent among us. He came to be with me and to make a way for me out of my wilderness of sin. He has been my faithful protector and friend all my days. And I will never forget his final promise in Matthew 28, 20, spoken immediately before his ascension, in which he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's time for the answer to our trivia question. Uh, As you may recall, there are three main harvests in ancient Israel every year. There's the spring harvest in May or June that yielded grains like barley and wheat. The summer harvest that yielded fruits, predominantly grapes. And the fall harvest in October and November that yielded predominantly what? Well, the answer is olives. Did you know that one, Adam? I think I knew that one. Yeah, I'd, I've been still thinking about apricot pie this whole time. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> olives. Uh, funny thing about olives, you know, when I when I was growing up, I loved black olives. My grandma would always serve them out of the can at Thanksgiving. Oh, You'd put them on your fingertips and eat them off. And, but um, but I I always hated green olives. I just couldn't stand them. Hated them until my first trip to Israel, where you see them everywhere, and you have them at almost every meal. And I, and I came to really appreciate them and love them, probably because I was in Israel. <laughs> so my mind told me I had to. But now I really like them. Olives of all kind. Yeah. And for me, whenever I go back to Israel, I don't think there's a time that I haven't been there that I haven't gotten a slice of green olive pizza. So there you go. Ah, yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Shalom Y'all Ministries podcast. We we do hope you enjoyed this look into the, the various times and seasons of the ancient Israeli calendar. Have yourself a blessed season that the Lord can bring to you this new year. Shalom, y'all. Shalom, y'all.